It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I would like to welcome a, uh, I was going to be trying to be funny and say a tasty a guest to the show, which <laughs> kind of applies <laughs> to some degree. Uh, Taylor Parker is a chef, so that's what I was trying to lead into there. And he's from Six Nations. I actually know his parents, uh, and uh, his parents used to have a business called Sweetgrass Gardens that ran for quite a long time. It had a lot of traditional uh, uh, plants and herbs and all kinds of things there. And that kind of leads us also into uh, what, uh, what Taylor does, because he uses a lot of those traditional elements in his food preparation, and that's where he got a lot of the knowledge that I'm sure he now, per- now takes forward and uh, uses in preparing meals. Uh, Taylor, it's great to have you here on the show. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, guys. So, listen, um, can you can you tell me first of all what first in, got you interested in in wanting to be a chef or food items? Uh, I always wanted to cook, actually, for a long period of time, and uh, my parents eventually didn't uh, like the concept, so I went to school for business. Um, ended up, you know, running around, dealing, doing a lot of side projects, uh, doing a lot of cooking in my spare time, hobbies. I, you know, all, all on the side. Uh, eventually, I wanted to take it to another level, which was after, you know, just growing up in a small town, wanting to kind of go branch out and do something different. Uh, came to Toronto and then just wanted to find a way to fast track, which was work with everybody who was the best. So doing a lot of research and then showing up and then just working twice as hard as everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what did you find uh, when you were going through that process in mm-hmm. terms of the, the approach from, say, a traditional way of, of applying some of the herbs and things that you, you were grown up with that you became familiar with and, you know, with the kind of things you found in Toronto? Um, I always wanted to, actually. I made the made the plan mm-hmm. before I even came here, like seven years ago, of what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. how I wanted to achieve it. It was a matter of doing all the groundwork to be able to get to the point where we could start expressing it, where we could be doing private dinners, where we could introduce other chefs and allow them to also use these ingredients based on where they come from just draw a line across the equator, which was something my parents taught me about, right, in terms of what plants are native to North America and what plants, if we draw a line across, are native over there. So we take their ingredients and infuse them now so it allows other people to express themselves differently as well, right? Instead of where they're traditionally from, now they can traditionally say they're from here Mm. using North American ingredients, so creating unique dishes as a whole, not just... Can you you give us a brief example of what Um, you're talking about there? Yesterday we cooked uh, a mousse, actually. We did it with, um, again, something I've, a lot of this stuff isn't written down, so a lot of it's experimental. Mm. Uh, So compounding experiments. But we did, uh, I did a mousse dish for uh, people for the Toronto Food Film Festival. Um, And we did it with, um, we had uh, bergamot stems, rose hip, and uh, um, what else did I add in there? Um, a few other wild berries, actually, that we that we foraged right off the property from back home, where, where Sweetgrass Gardens used to be, mm. um, and creating something truly unique and very extremely tasty uh, without even having to really understand what was going on and allowing my chefs, uh, the other chefs I was working with, to do the same thing and saying, hey, create something. We have all these unique unique ingredients. If you guys want to experiment, experiment. Now's the time. Um, so, you know, I let two of them do two of their own, like, little twists on things as well. Um but again, we, we just make it tasty. That's our job, though, as a chef, right? So whatever the product is, whatever the outcome is, it's always going to be unique. Mm. Um, so you moved to Toronto with, you had this definite idea in mind, obviously, from what you were saying about what you wanted to do. Mm. And obviously, it sounds like it's been successful for you because it sounds yeah. like you now have people working 
uh, you're working with people. I don't know if you want to say that yeah. you're, you have people working under you, but created, certainly you're bringing small, other people along. Small network of uh, properly trained, highly skilled professionals where we uh, do profit sharing, essentially. Mm. So if somebody pulls in a contract, we go 10%, goes to whoever found the contract, and then whoever works that day, gets money just gets split between everybody. So there's no like real, uh, you know, we can always bring in the most talented people mm-hmm. because we have money to pay them, and mm-hmm. I, I get paid equally just as they do. Mm. That's interesting. And, and that sounds like it's been working well. It's going well, over well. For an industry that's very poor, yeah. that can't afford to pay cooks and chefs, and I look at the industry, how they're constantly trying to find people. I never have to worry about finding people. Right. I just put up a post and say, hey, guys, we have X event. I need yeah. two people here, two people there, and everybody shows up. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, it's like bring, pretty much bringing the indigenous philosophy of, of community right back to business, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, the, there's a, it also saves you a lot of overhead, mm-hmm. a lot of paying, paying for uh, salaries and all of those kinds of things. So it's, it sounds like a pretty smart business approach. Yeah. Um, now, uh, when you bring in these other people, are, are many of them uh, up-and-coming indigenous chefs, or are they media, are they, does it matter be- who be- it is? Best of the best in the city, it's uh, Haudenosaunee is all people, right? Not mm-hmm. just uh, mm-hmm. not just five nations, right? Mm-hmm. We, were, we buried everything underneath the tree of peace to invite everybody else to join us as well uh, in peace. So um, I have a tattoo on my arm, actually, it was peace amongst all people through food. Mm. Um, right. doesn't necessarily have to be, they have to be indigenous, but the, the message is, is if we can get all of these properly trained chefs who have their own voice as well mm. on board with experimenting with other ingredients and allowing them to expand the knowledge, we can actually start seeing some of these plants come back instead of farming all these, uh, all these products that are technically not from here either. Right. Do you have a specific, um, uh, area of expertise that you particularly enjoy working with, um, in food? Uh, yes and no, I guess it, it just depends on who I'm working with. I like bouncing ideas off of people and seeing what we can come up with, but every, every dish is unique. Um, every time we do it, it's, it's going to be something different because we, you know, we get things from family. If my, uh, my cousins go hunting and they happen to have deer at home, right? We stop selling menus because of that reason. You can't, you can't sell some of this product, but Mm. people can buy a ticket to their own event Mm -hmm. and they can, you know, sample a lot of different things. So you you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I want a five course. And if I write them a menu and I can't guarantee that, well, now mm-hmm. I'm paying a lot of money to go source sure. product. Sure. Which, again, is now uh, a farm product. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting. So uh, is it kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a show up and, and be surprised kind of thing sometimes? Yes. Or? Well, so I, I've been learning from so many chefs too, right? And uh, one, things I learn are speed, technique, uh, um, how, how to become creative, how to plan also, but also kind of pulling all that together. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is like we we look about a couple of days before we, we gather everything, see what we have, and then we have to be creative in a short period of time, mm. which a lot of chefs strive under pressure anyway. So mm. it's perfect when it's just like, okay, these are the ingredients we have. Do we have to make a, a five course? Do we have to make a nine course? And how fast do we have to make it? Mm. Right. So, so your every every experience is unique as well. Sure. Now, I know that in, going back to what you were saying about you know trying to source food or, or trying to not have a menu, um, I know there are some restaurants that specifically do that. They don't have a menu. That's you when you show up, and these are some of the finer restaurants you mm-hmm. go to. They just they feed you what what is there and what they're, what, what they're they supplying. Have. Yeah. Um, well that, that was the hard part, uh, to get this, you know, kind of successful in, in that aspect as well. Um, you know, it's hard to like, I don't, I don't necessarily support, uh, veganism or vegetarianism, but you, mm. you're welcome to come to my dinners. However, I'm not gonna, 
I can't, it's really hard to go outsource and find more product. Mm. This is the product we have. It has mm-hmm. to be split amongst everybody equally. If you mm-hmm. don't want to eat the proteins or you don't want to, whatever, you can ask your, your fellow neighbors if you can right. eat their food, but <laughs> you, like, sure. you know, but, but I, I stopped wearing chef jackets to my dinners as well, because it's about, uh, you know, wearing a chef jacket and having people sit down at your dinner. There's a separation, right? Mm. Uh, but we're all the same people. It's, mm. I just happen to be better at cooking food. Mm. I, I can't be a doctor, mm. but if we can all sit down at a table, right, that separation shouldn't be there either, much like our food. Mm. 150 years ago, you couldn't just say, I'm not going to eat meat and live in Canada. Right. <laughs> True enough. So um, this the the business you have, this MT Hospitality Limited, that's the business I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming we were talking about there earlier, correct? Yes. And how long has that been running for? I've had it now about three and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And it's growing, it's working well? Yes, so I, I, we just started uh, expanding and launching and bringing in my other extremely talented people uh, who work alongside me. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have some sort of like branch off of uh, other company or the, like themselves. So we've mm-hmm. just been building like a community of small companies and uh, helping each other, right? So if I have extra work and I can't take it on, I can always pass it on to somebody else who has that same knowledge or same expertise or even better than mine mm-hmm. and not have to worry about it running smoothly. Uh, now I noticed uh, that also from the, the description of the of the business that it says small, intimate, or large large events. So I guess obviously with the way you have this set up, mm-hmm. that if you need a, a lot of chefs to come in and work a large event, then mm-hmm. you just put that call out and you're able to to fill that need. Usually very very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of our large events are are mainly more samples of things that can mm-hmm. be done because it's too hard to forage mm-hmm. everything and you know go out and gra- gather everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the small intimate. Dinners are mainly the the biggest thing that we enjoy doing because it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more diverse. Mm. Uh, you can basically show up to someone's house and and cook them like a very extravagant meal, much like they sh- should be able to do at home. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, listen, the other thing I, I wouldn't mind mentioning because it sounds like something I, I saw you recently uh, uh, sort of talking about, um, and that is uh, you mentioned this idea of sharing. And of course, in Southern Ontario, Haudenosaunee territory, yeah. um, it's it's the dish with one spoon. Yep. And uh, I heard you talking about that in terms of that that sharing. Uh, and 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 I think it's really interesting how uh, in the conversation I heard you mentioned that uh, it's you know it's it's one spoon shared. And and you alluded to the fact that maybe, you know, you can't afford more than that. But really, it is about sharing. Yeah. And it is about the idea of making that one spoon shared so that everyone is coming and sharing. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. And and the hard part is, is like uh, right now we're at, a, we're at a state where chefs actually have the ability to dictate what is on farmed menus. You know what I mean? We can take farming away if, if chefs all decided that they wanted to. Right. Uh, if we decided we wanted to take farm salmon off of every menu in Canada. Mm. It could mm. happen. Will mm. people do it? No, because they're too greedy. Mm. Unfortunately, that's that's how it works. Mm. But, you know, that's people also need to make a living and we get it. But chefs have the ability to do it. Mm. It's a matter of bringing all people together to, mm. to actually start creating that voice too and going forward. Um, you know, will I see it in my generation? Probably not. Will mm. my son see it in his? Maybe. Mm. What? Uh, so so looking down the road for, for the, the future in terms of either food preparation or just in, in, in the way the world is changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see happening in, in your particular area? of? Um, a lot of chefs are going to have to start getting back out in the, in the gardens earlier. So a lot of them work most of their lives and then turn around and find all these unique ingredients later on. And then they start mm-hmm. building gardens around like some of the most popular restaurants in the world, right? They have mm-hmm. their own gardens. Mm-hmm. But if we can get, if we can start getting plant knowledge into some of them 
at a younger age or even which is why I started working with a lot of executive chefs uh, all around the city. Anybody they can work with, maybe they might teach them something. Maybe we start teaching them a little bit of things to, to get them going. Maybe we get them interested, get them outside. Uh, once they start playing around with ingredients, right, then they can start actually figuring out where their food comes from and what they're actually using. Mm. Um, and if we can get that to happen, it'd be great. Um, but that, that'll be, you know, what'll start making food changes and food waves in, uh, you know, what we're eating and how we're, how it's processed. Um, a couple of things come to mind as you were talking there. Um, and, and one is, is sort of unrelated. Um, but, uh, let's try to go with this one first. And that is how, how easy or difficult is it for a chef to find work? Um, in the city, if you're good, it's not. You can get a job tomorrow. You can call pretty much anybody if they're looking for a cook. Um, you know what I mean? You've, especially if you, you have a half-decent name and you're a hard worker. Mm. Um, it's extremely hard to keep them uh, okay. because there's there's not a lot of money in Toronto. Um, mm. Sadly, there's so many restaurants with uh, you know 300-seat restaurants. There's so many places um, who also don't have a lot of skill now, especially with the whole freelancing uh, becoming an option. If you're good, you can freelance and make more money than you are working in a restaurant. So mm. why why do people want to do it? Mm. Right now, that's interesting what you just said there um, about cook versus chef. I guess and and, mm-hmm. and and that delineation or the description of, of each. Um, I, I remember I was in theater school a long time ago, and we, mm-hmm. we they had a they had someone brought in to to talk to the uh, to the students uh, about uh, what they want to do, and and um, they said how many people. Uh, this, this was theater, so they said, yep. how many people want to do Shakespeare, you know, and mm-hmm. all these pans went up. And the guy said, if you end up doing 20% of what you want to do in this line of work, mm-hmm. consider yourself fortunate. Is, is, the, is the cooking or, or world the same in terms of, you know, trying to get something that you really want to do versus what you have to do to survive? Uh I, I, I suppose so. I guess, uh, you know, again, it comes down to oversaturation. We have too many of something and mm. people creating demand creates, you know, where the money goes. Mm. Um, it's kind of sad, but to say it, like we almost have to go back to treating full adults like children and taking that away from them, mm. you know, taking the ability to, to pick and choose what they want. You know, you get you get cooks who show up and they say, oh, I, well, I want this. And then people are inclined to make it because of fear of a bad review. Mm. Mm. Right? right, which again affects their money, affects their li- livelihood. So mm. they do it. Right, but for cooks, I watch some of my very talented friends who've jumped around from places to place who get just get bored because they're still cooking the same stuff just mm. in a different place. Yeah, it's like how many ma- how many types of mayo can you make? <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> make there's one there's one the one mayo, and then you can make it into anything you want. But yeah. it's just like that's consistent for a lot of cooks in yeah. in the city. Yeah, I, I just thought of something as you were talking there, um, and, and I'm wondering, because of the line of work you're in, food, and everyone loves to talk about food and mm-hmm. meals, and uh, their mm-hmm. mom makes a great dish or yeah. something, yeah. Um, and these, you know, a family, of course, has their own traditional or the special meal that they make and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, you must get this all the time, people talking to you about, uh, oh, my mom makes this, or somebody, my dad, you know, somebody mm-hmm. in the family makes something. I guess what I'm going for is how often do you hear or are you are you um, uh, um, exposed to something in terms of food preparation, whether it's a traditional meal or someone's you know talking about something or that you see or taste and you and that you're you're surprised at and you go wow this is a great this oh a lot great. a lot yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of people who make some really good food you know we have you know kids sometimes who blow my mind at cooking like a 
masala and I'm like, well, that's insane. It's insanely mm. good. Mm. But you know, that's again, that's, mm. uh, that's just skill quality of, yeah. of a dish. It's right. a skill quality of, as a whole too, right. of making a lot of different things, not mm. just one thing. Well, if you, if you're going to mm. be a cook or a mm. chef, right. Mm. Uh, the other thing I'm wondering about is in your line of work, mm-hmm. um, much like say teachers or maybe physicians, um, do you need to keep going back and re-educating yourself? And, and absolutely, t- like yeah. every every dish is a re-education. Every time I get unique ingredients, I have to try to either write it down, catalog it, figure out the process of it. If uh, an animal gets, say, my somebody from our family uh, catches an animal up north, I zone it, figure out what plants grow in that zone, and because of Six Nations, luckily enough and sweetgrass gardens from a long time ago, I can go home and get half these ingredients that pair well, extremely well with whatever animal or uh, anything else on that dish mm. just out of out of the uh, ability to have it growing back home, right? Which is 600 acres of, yeah. of wild land, mm-hmm. Carolinian forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, now, along that same thinking process uh, in your travels, mm-hmm. um, have you, you, I'm sure you've come across other indigenous chefs Mm-hmm. Uh, other indigenous meals from other parts of the country around yeah. North America. Yeah. Um, uh, do you guys share? I'm sure you probably shared dishes or, or ideas and things. But what do you, what do you learn from people in other parts of the country in terms of the kinds of herbs or the kinds of things that they have available to themselves? Uh, well, again, we we were Six Nations. Uh, Sweetgrass Gardens was plants native to North America. We mm. did all plants native to North America, not just you had an not advantage. Just Ontario. Yeah, I had a bit, I have a bit of advantage on a, on a few people. Um, <laughs> It it makes it a little easier for me, but it at, at the same time it's a lot of exploration, right? And and pioneering, and because uh, a lot of these people lost so much of their own traditional knowledge, they have to either go back into community and ask elders what used to be, or and then try to find a way to express that. Um, you know, I take corn soup for example from the reserve, and I just make it upscale. Mm. You know, mm. but that's something that never used to happen, right? So you know, playing playing around with a lot of ingredients and trying to find balance, but also trying to you know, treat the, the product itself with respect mm. um, for when it gets put on the plate, right? We don't mm. want to just uh, not use up the whole animal, which would be, you know, traditional Haudenosaunee is using mm. the whole product. Um, so you're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth, and you're listening in Toronto and Ottawa. My guest is Taylor Parker. He's a chef now living in Toronto. He's from Six Nations. His dad and, and mom owned a place called Sweetgrass Gardens, and uh, that's where he did get some of his uh, traditional knowledge in terms of herbs and those kind of things that he can apply. And as you may have just heard, he had a bit of an advantage from other chefs because they had so much uh, at Sweetgrass Gardens mm-hmm. available to him. He has since gone on to uh, start his own company. It is called MT Hospitality, where he brings in, and it's kind of like a freelance uh, kind of thing, where he uh, brings in other chefs when needed. And uh, sounds like a, a great uh, way to, to market uh, uh, and and work with other chefs and provide services to large and small um, uh, clients as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned corn soup, and I'm just wondering, are you seeing, uh, because there does seem to be a bit of an upswing in terms of uh, availability or an openness to to try new uh, indigenous dishes mm-hmm. these days, is that? Yeah, 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 there is now. Yeah, but uh, a lot of it scares people too. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like to tr- necessarily call all of our food indigenous. Mm-hmm. It's just good food at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Plus, it's uh, half the time we're creating stuff that maybe never got cooked before. Mm. Not sure. Mm. <laughs> there's no there's no cookbook to follow. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> can't, I can't look it up and reference it somewhere. 
<laughs> I can look up how hominy, like how we make corn, mm. which is, you know, rolling ashes and water in, a, uh, in dried white corn until it pops like hominy. But uh, we have an, a smoky, ashy flavor to it, which is really unique. Um, you know, I give that away to people and some of it, sometimes it shows up in people's restaurants in Toronto mm. just as a feature. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it, it all depends. It's, it's always different. It's always unique. It's always mm. fun. In that in that vein of thought, is there anything that that you can think of that is particularly either unique or unusual in the traditional food items that are prepared than you know the usual kind of uh, uh, bannock or or something that that mm-hmm. isn't isn't that often on the plate? Um, depends on. I guess it depends on the individual product and if it's in season and what you can get. Uh, I have elderberries show up on my dishes. Sometimes I have rose hips, but I, sometimes I'll use rose hip in the winter after the berries dry up from the frost. Sometimes I'll use them in the spring and I'll dehydrate them myself and make soups and stocks. Um, hibiscus, we have like Labrador tea leaves on some stuff, you know, but Labrador tea leaves we get from our moose camp up north from my uncles, but we also are hunting moose. So why mm-hmm. would those two not mm-hmm. pair well together? Mm-hmm. Um there's there are so many different ingredients just based on when we go out and what we find, and then you know there's different ways to to process things too. Smoking things, for example, uh, torching things, infusing things. Uh, cedar, sweetgrass, and sage can also get used literally just by smudging and infusing it. Say say we want to make desserts, you can smoke those and infuse them and actually create something that's considered uh, indigenous healing medicine, mm. right? which is mm. just goes back into our food. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as, an, as an example, food is technically our medicine, right? Right. We need to eat it every day. We need, people need to stay healthy. Mm. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that are at play and there's a lot of uh, kind of experimenting. And, and, and that's mainly my main focus is experiment, experimenting, mm. um, trying to find unique ways to, to offer things and looking up old ways of traditional uses for things, right? Um, wild ginger, uh, whatever, we, whatever we root up, um, mm. uh, wild potato here. Mm. which is, you know, the Jerusalem artichoke. Um, There's a lot. (laughs) You know, when you say that um, and say experimenting, I remember something from when I was a kid, and uh, I don't know if they're they're still around that much. I know there's a certain time of year you can get them. Those, Mm -hmm. like, puffball things, you know? Yeah. What are they? Um, Off the top of my head... I used to kick them when I was a kid, and you know, uh, mushroom. But, I think, it was, yeah, I think yeah. you're thinking of the mushroom. I don't know. It's a ball, and and it's full of powder when you kick it. But I know there's it's poisonous. But I think there's a certain time of year you can you can eat it or mm. cook it up or something. Anyway, it just just came to mind. Um, <laughs> the other thing when you said music or me- medicine, uh, I was thinking of Derek Miller uh, song. You know, music yeah. is the medicine. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when I I specifically wanted to point that out because of course your dad is a musician. He's mm-hmm. uh, you know he plays uh, saxophone. And um, jazz instructor in the Marine Corps for a long period of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, does does music play a part? I'm sure you know every all, chefs play a lot of music when they're li- when they're preparing food. I, but is, is, is that I, somehow? I listen to a lot of funk music when okay. I when I cook food, <laughs> okay. mainly because it keeps me calm. Mm. Uh, it's not overwhelming. I don't get irritated. I don't have to go change the songs all the time. I can literally just put on a, a '70s funk playlist and let it run. Mm. Um, but yeah, that coming from you know that that appreciation for music also coming from my family t- as well. Um, a lot of singers on my mother's side, uh, and a lot of musicians on my dad's side. Mm. Right, so, mm. you know, it, it's fun. It helps me anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Um, uh, now I remember, <laughs> I remember my, my mom years ago had chickens Yeah. and I was very surprised, uh, you know, free range chickens. <laughs> she, they walk around and, uh, I remember them picking up like 
huge spiders and just, you know, mm-hmm. eating them down. So really interesting to see what they eat, like you said. Yeah. But in terms of that, um, do you notice a difference in terms of the, 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 the foods that are allowed to either uh, be free range or, you know, traditional, like you mentioned, bear, hunting bear, mm-hmm. um, that, it, that are that or commercially bred? And, and in the preparation, and what do you try to find for... One, 100%. The animals themselves are 10 times tastier. Mm. They're not processed, right? But uh, your ability to actually feature that that product itself um, and where it comes from. So you so you can also feature a region based on where you're getting the animal, mm. right? So uh, if, if we bag a turkey up north, it's going to be different from the ones from Six Nations. Mm. But pairing it is what may, really makes it stand out. Right. What What is it eating? What's this one eating? What's that one eating? So, mm. you know, what if you want to know where your food comes from in terms of doing it? Right. Mm. I, I it's even hard too, right. It, it's hard to for a lot of people to get out and actually understand. And I see why the the farming's a thing, but also mm-hmm. look at uh, veganism, right. Veganism's the polar opposite. It's still terrible for our environment. Mm. Right. People, people will probably tell me to How so? <laughs> tell me How, I'm wrong. Exp- but, can you explain that a little um, bit? Well, look at all the look at all the mass farms we have to create for vegetables that aren't mm. native here. Mm. Okay, nothing's eating it. You shouldn't mm. be able to grow an entire field of something with nothing eating it except people. Mm. Right? It means it's not indigenous here. No, right? No animals eat it. Right. So if if we're growing whole fields of this product and we're taking we're cutting down forests to mm. grow it, mm-hmm. what's what's mm. you know? There's two there's two negatives. There's Good the point. over there's the over farmed yeah. and then there's the over farmed still. Right. One's a vegetable. One's a pro, one's a meat protein. But what's you know, what's the balance? Right. We're, we can't grow micro ecosystems of food. Then yeah. like, that's what we do back home. Right. We take whole seeds of things and throw mm-hmm. them all together. Look at three sisters, corn, mm-hmm. bean and squash. They yeah. don't grow together. Absolutely. Right. We can't grow a whole field of one thing. Right. Terrible for the environment. Right. Right. Good point. Uh, okay. So animals, we talked about their, mm-hmm. the, the animals and, and the, either being in natural environment. You mentioned bear, and you mentioned you know hunting bear. So, oh, I, well, I had heard moose, 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 moose. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I had heard some time long ago mm-hmm. that uh, from someone, a, a hunter, who said um, it's it's actually better to hunt an animal um, uh, with with uh, uh, not shooting the animal. Because it doesn't uh, it shock the animal, or it doesn't. Yeah. It well, my uncles, my uncles have been hunting for a long period of time, so they taught me a lot about mm-hmm. hunting and in, in, in terms of you know how you should treat animals. Mm-hmm. And if and if you do shoot something, it's about not just getting overexcited and trying to take it down. If you have a shot at it anywhere, right, mm-hmm. and then then it meat tenses up. If you can't if you can't drop an animal with one shot humanely, right, mm-hmm. uh, then then it then don't do it. Right. So they've, they'll go out sometimes and they, they'll even tell me, they used to tell me stories. Like, yeah, we saw a bunch of moose, but we never shot one. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Cause we couldn't get a good shot. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, that's, that's also coming down to the indigenous way of thinking, which is treating animals with respect, right? Everything has respect. If yeah. it's, if it's going to give up its life for you to become its food, uh, you should treat the whole animal with respect, which mm. is why we use up the whole product. Yeah. Right. And do you think the, the farmers still, still go out with that same approach these days? Uh, I, I'd hope so, yeah. But that you know, that's perspective of each individual, not mm. not one of course one society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're a whole culture and community yeah. back home. We're we're taught that as children before yes. we even go off to high school, which is right. off the reserve. Yeah, mm. pumpkin always a big deal. Yeah, pumpkin pumpkins, desserts, squash. Yeah, all kinds of fun stuff to play around with. Do you do you have any any special uh, dishes you prepare around those uh, items? Uh, a lot of squash recently. Uh, pumpkins actually, I, I like doing stuffed pumpkins they're kind of fun mm. um carving them out re- reusing the seeds you can carve them down maybe turn them into things a lot of fun stuff you can turn them into uh 
blend them with uh, Jerusalem artichokes. You sometimes will deep fry artichokes on top of it. Mm. Um, again, a lot of experimenting. Wow. So it's a lot of playing around with the, what, what, what you have and how right. many different ways you can make it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pumpkin seeds, roast, roasting pumpkin seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, are, there, are there many different uh, uh, recipes for doing that kind of thing, or is it basically one kind of a... Basically one kind of thing. You can pan fry them. You can yeah. throw them in the oven. Yeah. Um, depends on what you want to do. If the application comes down to, I have 20 things to make, and I need to get this one done quickly, <laughs> it's going to change the, how, I, how I make it. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's coming up in the future for you? What uh, what's what's happening? Uh, well, so I've I've been working with a lot of chefs over the years, and uh, right now uh, I just took on a, a small little project for an old friend, uh, helping relaunch a, a portion of catering for them. Um, I have my own stuff upcoming is is going to be a lot of expansion. Um, we're starting to get people more and more interested in this this type of thing. Um, a good buddy of mine, basically now when I go out and forage, we, we started branching off and doing a, a very unique uh, way of making boards, like platters. Mm. Um, also, a few other things, but, you know, going down and cutting down trees when I go out and forage now and letting the wood dry out and uh, treating that stuff all with the same respect we do with animals. Um, we have a lot of we have a lot of unique things. Again, our whole our whole company is based on unique uniqueness, and and not just mine, but other people's individual personalities and what they can do as well, what they have to offer, and allowing them to explore their own creativity. Mm. Right? It makes makes everything a little bit more fun. Makes working together a lot easier. Mm. Um, you know, if some person has a, a different way of learning than I do, well, allow them to explore it mm. right? instead of just saying, "Well, this is the only way," which right. is why I don't really like to follow menus either. And I can't even say that I would be a traditional chef in terms of, you know, what is traditional, what is like mm. French fine dining. But I took the approach of we don't live in France. Mm. Why are we cooking French food? Mm. Okay. <laughs> as valid as any. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you, you feel is important to mention? Like a lot of it, again, is, is just creating unique experience. If we can create unique experiences for more people and just get the education out there, that's, that's more or less all that needs to happen, right? It's just uh, knowledge. And lack there of it, mm. or or lack of willingness to to explore it. Right? It's mm. it's not that a lot of people won't do it. It's just a lot of people don't know about it. Right. Right. Um, listen, in case uh, we've sparked the imagination of some people, or they would like to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Uh, they can email me uh, Taylor dot Parker at mthspro dot com. Okay. Um, you have Facebook or are you on social media at yeah, all? Yeah, I have I have Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, Turok, T-U-R-O-K, Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R. Um, Turok being the, uh, the video game nerd as a kid. Turok being the dinosaur hunter <laughs> <laughs> who was indigenous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, listen, uh, uh, Taylor, um, yeah. uh, we will have a link uh, once this is, is aired. It, it, mm-hmm. we, we, it'll go... Uh, up on our, our social media, and we'll uh, make sure there's a link there that, that you get and that people can link onto as well if they're interested in sure. following up as well. Yeah. With you as well. Uh, listen, uh, it's, it's been great having you on the show, and awesome. I appreciate you coming in and sharing, uh, sharing some of this story and some of these tantalizing ideas of, of how to approach uh, food and, and uh, what you're doing. It's great, also, and we wish yeah. you all the best success in the future. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, so miigwech and uh, nyawa, nyawa goa for coming yeah. in and... Uh, and Hopefully we can, uh, next time when you come in, you can bring some food for us. <laughs> well, I can always bring food. It's never an issue. <laughs> All right. now, thank you. That is my guest today, Taylor Parker, here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Don't go away. We're coming back with more right here on Element FM. 
And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you could be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country. Just type in 106. No, no, just type in E-L-M-N-T-F-M and go to Ottawa or Toronto. Click on your choice and you can just follow the directions there and you could be listening in no time anywhere across the country. I'd like to welcome uh, a very special person to the show, Cliff Cardinal. He's a writer, performer, and he's known for his black humor, and he uh, has performed his solo play, Stitch and Huff. They've won numerous of awards. He's performed his music in three continents. He's uh, developing his new works at the Video Cabaret, where he is the artistic associate. He's also a graduate of the National Theatre School of Canada, Welcome to the show, Cliff. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. It's it's a great pleasure to have you here. And you know, uh, I saw a recent production of yours. Uh, Too good to be true. You saw that? I did. Ah, uh, thanks. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I like the I like the staging. I really like the use of lighting and how you uh, you know were able to to do those those vignettes and, and things. So. Well, that's very much in the style of the company that I work with, mm-hmm. Video Cabaret. They've mm-hmm. been engineering that style of staging since, about, call it, let's call it 40 years. They've mm. been working on that. And uh, that's just being a student in the arts and growing up in Toronto, um, having dropped out of high school at 15, and I just wandered into the back of this bar, uh, and they were putting on these plays. And so that comes after, that was about 20 years ago now. And so that's 20 years down the, ro- the road of being a student of theirs and, and working with them. Right. Well, good. Uh, that's great. Um, of course, uh, you know, just to, just to clarify, you're also the son of Tantoon Cardinal. So. That's right. And wife of Sage Paul Cardinal. She's in the <laughs> studio with me here right now. You remember her? Remember Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto? I thought you remembered that. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you clarified that and got her. Brought That's in. right. And but my mom, absolutely. Yeah, mom. Check out. Check out Stumptown. It's, it's uh It's on a major network in 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 America. It's very very good. Starring. It's a violent TV show starring guns and my mom. <laughs> okay. I've got a show too, dude. <laughs> Actually, I've got a yeah. So, so listen, no, that's great. I don't mind. Yeah. Um, the other thing, you know, that is, I think, of interest is that you're from the Pine Ridge uh, Indian Reserve. Yeah, I love my family out there. Uh, be, be getting to know them better, and and they're you know good ceremony people, and they're um, just just it's really great to get out there once a year and be home and be mm. around around people who look like me mm. oh my god i it's amazing yeah we, we have uh th- there are a lot of stories a lot of a lot of really rich stuff happening there yeah that's great i, I believe that is the uh home community of buffy saint marie if i'm not mistaken i haven't seen buffy there i don't know yeah I, i'm pretty sure it's her home community but really? i could be mistaken i'm pretty sure now i'm not saying she lives Somebody there google that andrew i'm not saying she Andrew's lives there. the producer we've got him to andrew google that is let's get it let's so get we'll have a real official a real time update buffy st marie is she from pine ridge and if so is she related to me <laughs> <laughs> so so um, listen let's let's talk a little bit about uh, huff because you have some performances coming up that are going to be happening uh, on the, I think the eighth and the ninth. That's right. Of we've November. Got, we've got uh, the eighth and the ninth in Mississauga. Yep. We've got shows in Brampton, St. Catharines, and Kingston all this month. So there's like a bunch of shows coming up. But the first ones are at, at Mississauga at the Living Arts Center. Uh, uh, 
November 8th and 9th. That's a solo show. It's one you've been doing for a while. You, you seven years, seven over years. 200 times. Yeah. We've, we've been touring it relentlessly for seven years. It's about uh, kids who abuse solvents and are at high risk of suicide. Um, I thought that was the one group of people that we're most afraid to look at and afraid to talk about, and they're the group that most resembled you know, my particular upbringing, mm. you know, growing up uh, mostly in urban settings, but still in Indian. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to make a play where we could really imagine that experience, really empathize it, empathize with that experience and go through it as best we can. I mean, knowing we'll never understand, mm. but we, we owe it to each other to try. Yeah, that's great. So can you, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it was... Take me back, will you, to to when you first thought, "Hey, I think we can do this," because it, it was a it was a it's a big step to do that, right? To bring that kind of the kind of stuff you're doing on stage and and talking about. Well, I'd been ta- I worked on it was started as a short story in 2005, and mm-hmm. I worked on it as a draft, but didn't really get a lot of traction with it anywhere. And then in 2011, I did my first play, Stitch, that Kara G was in. And Stitch went really well, and it kind of introduced me to the theater community a bit and, and you know, made, maybe made some people turn their heads this way. Mm. And I would started telling people about my next play, Huff. And one of the people I told was Patty Shaughnessy out in Peterborough, and she was, she was running the Odom and Giza's Strawberry Moon Festival out there. And she goes, great, I'll book that for next year. <laughs> So I was like one year away. She's like, no, next year you're on. So now you got a reason to do it. So now I had a reason to do it. Yeah, I, mean, I stopped everything, just did that for, for the year. We opened it at, at, at her festival and, um, you know, it was, the rest, as they say, is history. So for people that don't know anything about Huff, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? What kind of things do people see? Well, it's, it's, it's really, really dark work. I mean, I told you the the basic synopsis, but it's a one-man show starring me. I play uh, a bunch of different characters, mostly three little kids um, who are, you know, dealing with the the death of a parent. And the work itself is really dark. There's a lot of trauma, you know, depicted in it. And part of the reason I do that is because, for me, I need to see a show that is very hard-hitting, that's very dark, that makes me feel... You know, that doesn't turn away from the bad things, but makes me feel grateful to to have been through the experience with the people in the theater. And so uh, the big part about that is trying to make it funny. You know, mm. we're, it's black humor. We're laughing in the face of the things that we hate. Because mm. the things in this play, honestly, they turn my stomach, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we'd have to go into that, into those really hard places with love. Yeah. And and having said that, uh, are are people leaving uncomfortable in a, in a, in a hope, good way? I hope not. Yeah. I you know I think that my objective is to make them leave with hope. You okay. know to to go through these things as best we can and to imagine them and to afterwards feel grateful that we came together and did that together. You know because I think uh, we do have a responsibility to each other to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. I think you know. As a fiction writer, my only political idea is that we should be more compassionate with one another. Mm. So yeah, I want I want people to leave the theater with the breath of hope, mm. and some some do, and some probably don't. Now you've been doing this for a while, as you say, for seven years, over two hundred performances. Uh, I'm I'm wondering about though getting into character for this, um, you know, and and what you're doing. How 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 do you feel after the performance? 
The audience takes good care of me. Great. Yeah. We try to affect the audience the same way. We try to make them laugh in the same places. Mm. We're working hard to make sure that they have many opportunities to be invited onto this journey with us. Mm. And if we, if I give everything I have to the audience, you know, the love comes back. And, by, and at the end of the night, I feel, you know, I feel pretty good. Has it changed over that time or is it the same show you initially started with? It's more the same. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be too much of a change for some people. That's a joke I heard on the scene around here in Toronto. Mm. But it's true. It's it's um it, we try to make it more the same than last time. You know, so we're always trying to make it clearer. And it runs for how long in terms of length of time? Is there is there an intermission at all? Oh, 65 minutes, or okay. 70 minutes yeah. straight through. Okay. No latecomers, no readmittance. <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's a bit of a storm, you know. Mm. So we just we want to go through it, you know. It's it's one ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, I'd like to go back a little bit and talk about Too Good to Be True, if that's okay. Sure. Now, that's your your uh, your first multi-character play. That's right. And uh, and you directed that one. I did. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's about a single mom who takes her kids, who's a single mom who's a wanted fugitive, who takes her kids on the run. And the play is their last hour together before the the, the police uh, break up the family, and and it's a comedy. Mm. Um, and so we had we were really lucky. We had great performances from Sherry Miracle, Ryan Cunningham, Patty Shaughnessy. It was in the grand tradition or the style of the of video cabaret. My wife Sage Paul did phenomenal costume designs. Sage has <laughs> has. She's just got a great style. There's a like a, a violent politic to her work, but also there's a, a quirky sense of humor. And so, you mm. know, those real those two str- dynamics are really really strong in her work and they're really strong in our costume design. Mm. Um to the place where they enhance the performance rather than, you know, take away from it. And that's um that's that's what video cabaret is about. It's about we have we've got a performer telling you the truth mm. and the way that light hits the costumes and the yeah. prop and the story and the line, um, we, it weaves the spell. And so that's what we were trying to do with, with that work. And we had some great performances. You know, and the other thing I'd add to that is, is it's not a, a huge space. So making use of those a very sort of focused areas really helped in terms of the placement and use of the stage. Yeah, the company, we loosely call that the precision lighting in mm. a black box, and that's mm. something that has been developed for, for quite a long time. Um, and and uh, that's the kind of precision that the, to have a close-up in theater happens through these, um, these emotional texts when the argument is, is being displayed, you know, through the proper poeticism and the, and the person is bringing it off. It's like, it's not, it's not the actor in front of you. It's, it's John A. MacDonald. Mm. It's wandering spirit, you know, because video cabaret, they're known for history, for history plays, Michael Hollingsworth's history mm. plays. And um, their dedication to that style uh, was something that I was able to, uh, I guess, piggyback on <laughs> right. in our last production um, and, and, and learn because there are, uh, Michael and Deanne are, are my teachers. You know, I've, they've, you know, handed the, the style to me as best they could and as, as best I could receive it. Mm. You know, so there is, a, there is a real theatrical tradition that, that came to that moment that you saw, you know, with my words and, and that style. 
Yeah. Um, is that going to have a new life? Is it going to go on? Have you got any plans for it going anywhere? I would like, yeah, I'm going to keep developing it. You know, I want to, you know, keep keep working on the script and making it worthy of the performances and worthy of the production. I have another thing. Can I tell you about it really quickly? Absolutely. It's called Cliff Cardinal's CBC Special. Okay. And there's no CBC Special, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> um, but the idea is that it's just, it's a collection of my stories and songs. I'm mm. also a musician. Yeah. I've got a band. We were going to get to that. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and we've, and, we just opened that show at the at Summerworks this year, mm. and so since then we've got a, had a bunch of productions. We've got a tour coming up, and so I've got that other show of stories and songs that I've you know been developing to these days. And and that's coming up. The next one, I believe, I don't know if this is out yet, but it's in January okay. in Calgary yeah. at a certain festival that will remain nameless okay. at this particular moment. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, and also my band, Cliff Cardinal and the Skylarks, we have yeah. a show on December 4th at the Horseshoe as part Great. of the Red Review. Great. So please check that out. We're going to have a releasing new music and stuff. And yeah. Well, now we're on to the music. Let's uh, let's stay there. Tell us more about the kind of stuff you do. Well, I, I kind of tell I've got my aesthetic of sort of dark and catchy, mm-hmm. you know, songs. Um, and we put it through like a reggae ska sort of pop vibe. So um we get people dancing and 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 laughing and then thinking, oh gosh, that was really dark. What we're dancing and laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> we like to make twisted jokes, and, but really, it's about it's about having a good time. It's about just coming together and 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 you know, laughing and dancing. So uh, uh, this is not a mistake. That was it's the first Spotify? album on yeah. Spotify on wherever music is streamed, mm-hmm. and we have another album coming up really soon called Hardway. It's done. We're just you know. Mm-hmm. We're just releasing it, you know, so that we create as much of a splash as we can. So then what could possibly go wrong? This is already that's, we re- that's what it was called. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Well, the title might suck. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, because it really, after working on it, after finishing the album, it really was more, it was just, it changed in our, in our minds and our hearts. It was less of a joke and more something that we'd earned. I uh, just want to interject and tell everyone that you're listening to uh, Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Cliff Cardinal, and as he so kindly pointed out, his wife has also joined us in the studio, uh, Sage Paul, and uh, she's just sitting there quietly in the background as we were carrying on. Which is not like her, I will tell you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're talking about Cliff uh, and the, his play, Huff, but more than that, we're talking about his music. We're talking about his CBC special, which is not a CBC special That's at all. That's right. <laughs> Sponsors, broadcasting partners need not worry. <laughs> well, they might have something to say about that. I don't know. You know what? Can you imagine being sued for like trademark mm. dispute by Canada's national broadcaster? I do imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It would be good publicity at the very it least. It might be right? good publicity. <laughs> it might just kill the work. Who knows? Who knows? God bless us. I'd love to be you know, interviewed there. <laughs> And uh, so the other thing about about Huff, which we've been talking about, um, it, uh, it it won the Buddies and Bad Times Vanguard Award for Risk and Innovation. It went on to do some other things: the Dora Awards, Outstanding Performance, Outstanding New Play, RBC's Emerging Playwright Award, the Lefstrom Award, which recognizes the greatest moments at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It's kind of cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it was a great great month we had out there. Yeah. And it was shortlisted for Amnesty International's Freedom of Expression Award. Not too shabby. No, we've gotten to wear a bouquet and a tiara and 
we're very we're getting really lucky. You had to get spiffied up, did you? Yeah, like, you know, a lot of it's about um, it's about the moment. You know, there are a lot of great plays that happen in our community every mm. year, but it's it's just about the way the moment hits the work, and um, and I've been really lucky to be been a part of some great moments. Speaking of of great moments, uh, Huff has uh, has has certainly um, you know it hit, it talks about some hard hitting uh, issues, of course, and as you as you said, uh, you try to to do so with bringing humor to it. But uh, what are the kind of things that you hear from people uh, after they leave and see this production? Well, for one thing, what they say about the show after they leave, I really don't care. <laughs> okay. Um, and why is that? Why what, is that? What I care about is what happens in the room. You know, okay. during that play, are do. Are they with me on the journey? Mm. What is the quality of the silence? How punctuative was the laughter? Are people moved by the play that they saw? Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm all about getting people to keep buying in and keep imagining and keep suspending disbelief while we mm. go through this story. And so that's my objective. What people bring into the theater or what they leave doing afterwards is no longer under my purview. So um, I will tell you generally... If people don't like the show, they they don't tell me about it. Mm. Generally, if people come up to me after the show, it's because they 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 want they are moved enough to to come up and, sure. and make a connection with me. Yeah, and yeah. That's usually a positive. Right. Thing. Well, I like what you just said about about uh, you're concerned with it with it in the moment as it's as it's happening. That makes perfect sense, of course. And um, and. Are you aware? Because I'm just wondering about your. I mean, if you're doing this for a while, so you're you're probably able to to uh, feel that as you're going through it. Um, do you do you generally then feel pretty satisfied and happy with with what you're doing? Oh, it's been a great gift in my life, to, both as an artistic challenge and um, as something to share with the audience and and introduce myself to mm. you know the theater audiences of Canada. Um, I'm very very grateful to you know. <laughs> for this story to have chosen me. Yeah, you know, I guess when I said what kind of things are you hearing back, I guess what I was was wondering about was uh, for perhaps non-Indigenous people that are seeing this and you're exposing them to some of these these issues. Oh, no, no. no, no these kind of these so? issues, they're not Indigenous issues, to be honest. Okay. They are Indigenous, they're, sorry, they're issues of the poor. Mm. Poor, disenfranchised people. Any group that mm. nobody cares, any group of kids that nobody cares about, mm. I mean, you, they've, they come up with some messed up coping coping mm. mechanisms. Mm. So you change 10 references in this play, and it can be about kids from any any place. Well said. Well said. I appreciate you you clarifying that and making that point uh, because we, we far too often uh, just just fo- uh, you know focus on the indigenous. And you're quite right. It's, it's larger than that. Um. Should we talk a little bit more about your music, though? Sure. Let's talk about it. So um, you've got this new material, you said, coming out. Yeah, that's right. The new record called Cliff Cardinal and the Skylarks Hard Way. It's still more, you know, uh, dark stories and terrible things that happened that we uh, upswing to like a ska reggae tempo. And I've been working with that with those guys for a few years now. Um and uh, with the new show, Cliff Cardinal's CBC Special, there's more chances for me to get out there and introduce my music. And that show is pretty much really similar to Huff. Uh, 
The only difference is that we sh- we switch out the graphic depictions of trauma for songs. Mm. And nobody misses them, mm. really. Mm. Um, and so that's really great to be able to. We got I got to tour the Northwest Territories, uh, singing songs. We got to sing and to sing my songs in Mexico, um, in Ottawa this this year. And it's we're really looking to you know find our audience for the people who like you know my kind of stuff. Now uh, you just mentioned touring, and uh, it, there's information that says you've you've managed to perform your music on three different continents? That's right. Where have you performed? Uh, Australia, England, and here. I played at the Origins Festival in in England. Um, I I kidded them. I said I'd never been to England before, um, but I read Animal Farm. So... <laughs> and did they appreciate that? They did. Actually, they did. <laughs> yeah, I got a good chuckle out of that. Um, and also, we got re- as we played at a bar in Australia and and um, at a youth correctional facility. Sage and I went, both went down there mm. and met met students, chatted, and and were had the honor to perform songs for them. Mm. There's, it's I just love connecting, you know, connecting with an audience through song. It's it's a very pure thing. I imagine it's like stand-up comedy, sort of. Mm, right. Now, uh, the other thing that you uh, you talked about at the top of this segment was that you have a show. I'm assuming a podcast show or something of that nature. What were you referring to there? No, that's probably the CBC special. Thing, oh, probably. okay. Yeah, All right. No, I don't. I don't have a show. I mean, like, I have many shows. Yes. I've got half the CBC <laughs> special. I've got the Cliff Cardinals CBC special. Um, and, you know, solo music and, and mm. performing with the Skylarks. Mm. So I'm, I'm very much on the road these days a right. lot. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that you mentioned, and we, we talked about a little bit, uh, we kind of glossed over it. I'm wondering if you can expand on it a little bit, and that is Stitch. We didn't really talk about that much. Well, that was in 2011, and um, that's, uh, the, the, what was cool about that is that it showed many perspectives and um, they were strange and weird and dark and funny, and it was my aesthetic. And um, I would love to keep working on that play again, uh, but it's, uh, you know, these things have their moments, and that moment hasn't come up again in a while. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we also spoke a little bit about your, your family and your mom. Ah, does your mom does your mom does your mom uh, get involved much with your career or she, you know she comes to the shows yeah she comes to the shows yeah um, but but no that's not really her thing mm. we're not unfortunately we're not those sort of like show business families that <laughs> like where it's like you know elbows out get every <laughs> you know yeah, no no mom's not like that um, and I never wanted to be like that either mm. because I always wanted to be recognized aside from my mom. Right. You know, I don't want to just be Tattoo's right. son. Of course. So far it hasn't happened. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I and, and I got that sense, which is why I was asking and, and yeah. you know, if, if she was, you know, help guiding you or, you know, anything like that. But it sounds like you're just Well, you, you know, know what I share with her is is um her rigor. Okay. And her discipline for mm. the work. She's a hard worker. She yep. um she trusts uh, you know, what what's happened? She trusts the moment like no one I've ever seen, and so I'm right. very inspired by her. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to see myself as an artist because of her, mm. um, but it's not because she's um, you know straight, you know, yeah. you know strong arming producers and stuff. Yeah, right. Understood. <laughs> well, listen, we're we're almost out of time, and I want to uh, just come back to talk a little bit more about uh, giving people dates and times and those kind of things for your upcoming shows. But before that, if you don't mind. 
for someone that might be thinking about coming to see the show, right, Huff, uh, at the Living Arts Center on November 8th and 9th, what would you say to those people or any other time that people might want to come and see your your presentation? Um, if you want to come and have a good time and laugh in the face of, of ugly then come then come down. Um, and uh, if you don't want to do that, maybe see some things that are a bit ugly, then, hey, stay home. <laughs> see Cliff Cardinal's CBC special in six months. <laughs> okay. So once again, uh, that's Huff. It's going to be uh, performed on November 8th and 9th at the Living Arts Center in Mississauga. You can catch it there. Uh, you said yeah, there's other dates We as got well? shows in St. Catharines, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. And uh, then of November? Of November. Okay. And then we're in Kingston from the 26th to the 30th. So lots going All in on November. in Ontario right now. First up, Living Arts Center, 8th and 9th. Yeah. And um, that's that takes care of November. Did you mention something about December? December 4th, the Skylarks are playing at the Horseshoe. Right. And I'm also coming to Winnipeg for the Thin Air Writers Festival. And that is? The 6th. Okay. So it's, it's yeah, it's like a week and a half in December. It's a great it's a great time. And and what did you say about January? Was that the CBC thing again? Yeah, or? that's right. To a certain arts festival in Calgary <laughs> that I don't think has done their press release. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, any final last words before we end our segment? Oh, th- you know what? If uh, if you've seen the show or not, uh, if you checked out this interview and and you made my little story a a part of. Uh, a part of your journey today. It, it means the world to me, and, and thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. That is Cliff Cardinal. He is a writer, performer, and uh, the performer of Huff. He also wrote it, and he's coming up uh, November 8th and 9th at the Living Arts Centre. They're the first ones. You can check that out uh, at the Living Arts Centre website, of course. And as you heard him mention, he has other things going on, like uh, Cliff Cardinal and the Skylarks. You can check that out for his music. Get a web page or something, uh, Cliff, that people can go to. CliffCardinal.com. There you go. You can catch it all right there. I want to thank uh, Cliff for, for coming in today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, meeting you, and I wish you all the best Thanks, in the David. future. Thanks, David. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, miigwech. And for all our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in, and make sure to tune in next time. Right here on Element FM, that's the show for today. Nyawa, miigwech, and wanishi for listening. And until next time, onigiha.